We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Arizona, Colorado, Indiana, Michigan, New Jersey, Tennessee, and Virginia. WinBet is now live in all these states, and the excitement of Win Las Vegas has finally landed in online sports betting and casino play. For boosted parlays to live in-game offs on every major sport, WinBet gives you the tools to win. Sign up today for your risk-free $1,000 sports bet. Download the WinBet app now or visit winbet.com. That's W-H-N-N-Bet.com to start winning. Blue Wire. What's going on, everybody? Nick Filato here of the Big Blue Banter podcast to inform you that this podcast that you're about to listen to was recorded right before Joe Judge was fired, relieved, let go of his position as the head football coach of the New York football giants. So keep that in mind. And if you want to hear immediate reaction about the Joe Judge firing, myself and Dan Schneier recorded another episode that should be on the feed. Check that out. Enjoy this episode and take care of yourselves. Welcome back. It's the Big Blue Banter, New York Giants football podcast. I'm Dan Schneier. Joined as always by my co-host, Nick Bellato. A little bit of news in the last 48 hours as the Giants offseason rolls forward. We have news that the Giants will, in fact, extend their general manager search and begin it this week. Interviews are set to begin, I believe, on either Wednesday or Thursday. Uh, I believe Wednesday, actually. Joel Shane is the first interview candidate from the Buffalo Bills. I was certain I was going to mispronounce his name, but in a second, in the last second, in a victorious moment, because you never want to get the name wrong. You never, I never want to get an SCH name wrong, Nick. Because as an SCH last name myself, Schneier, I just don't want to miss these. These are ones I have to hit at a hundred percent rate. And so, I did it. It's Shane. It's not shown. You would think it's shown, but it's Shane. It's I would have said shown a hundred percent. I would have totally said shown in that situation. Right? I, yeah, I, I don't even see how Shane comes out of S C H O E N. But you know. Good on Joe, you know, good on Joe for having a unique name because he probably corrected so many teachers when he was in elementary school who screwed up his name. And now he's a potential general manager for the New York Giants. So what development from Joe Shane? There are still a lot of friends that I have today who have been my friends for 20 plus years who cannot spell my last name for the life of them. And some teachers throughout my life, most teachers have been not able to mis- uh, to pronounce my last name. So I get it. I know how it feels, Joe, but I believe he's the first interview on Wednesday. And we also have news that, you know, there's no guarantee Joe Judge will be back as head coach, even though he wasn't fired 
on Monday. This is now Tuesday. He will meet with owners, apparently. Mara, Tish, that hasn't happened yet. Apparently, it will happen. Who knows? <laughs> I mean, I think what we're hearing now is that the Giants will let their next general manager make the decision when it comes to head coach. That could be Joe Judge. That could be somebody else. It does put them a little behind the eight ball on the head coaching search because all other teams who moved on from their coaches on Monday are now interviewing potential head coaches. The Giants will not be. I did put out something yesterday because I think the most surprising news from Black Monday, as they like to refer to it, was not Giants related. It was Miami Dolphins related. Brian Flores was fired. I don't exactly know why. I know they started one and seven. But he pretty much manwilled that team into a 9-7 and seven record. They do not have a lot of talent. They have less talent than the Giants. They have no offensive line like the Giants. They did not spend free agency money like the Giants. They do not have a defense with as many uh, big contracts as the Giants. They do not have the skill talent, at least from a you know draft capital and free agency standpoint. I know the Giants' skill talent got injured, yada, yada. And they still have won two, two winning seasons with Flores. So he was fired. He's already getting a look from other teams. I believe he has an interview lined up already with I think it was either the Broncos or the Bears, but that was really interesting news to me. And I did put out a stat, Nick, that I want to get your take on. Something I found interesting, just a little observation. On Black Monday, the Bears, the Dolphins, and the Broncos all moved on from their head coaches. Those head coaches all defeated Joe Judge's Giants by double-digit points this season, including one of those in week one before anyone could even bitch about the injuries. Oh, Shane Lemieux, blah, blah, blah. No, don't even try to pin Shane Lemieux as an injured team. It was week one. Blake Martinez was still there. Everyone was still there. Nick Gates. Um, and they beat him by double-digit points. So just an interesting observation at where the Giants are at with this Joe Judge situation. I really do feel like John Mara wants to make this work with Joe Judge. He was convinced it was going to be Judge. And then these last four weeks of uncompetitive ball – and it's also the embarrassment factor. I know John Mara is reading this stuff. I know he's in tune with everything that goes on surrounding his football team. I believe it's a big reason why they went out and signed Kenny Galladay, bid against themselves. I believe it's a big, a big reason why they've cast such a wide net with this GM search we're going to get to because I think they're listening and I think they hear it. And I don't think he likes what he's been hearing about Joe Judge with the quarterback sneaks and the uncompetitive ball. But that's what's happening right now in the Giants world, Nick. Where would you like to start? I know we also want to wrap up some and you know put a bow on some of the film that we saw from this past week. Yeah, so there was a lot to unpack there. And in terms of Brian Flores, that's that's incredible that he's available. I would love for him to be the head football coach of the New York Giants. That would be awesome because he seems like a really true leader. And everybody in Miami loved him except for possibly Chris Greer, the current general manager, because it seems like there was some sort of power struggle there between Greer and Flores and Greer ended up winning. We'll see how that plays out in Miami, but there's a damn good coach now available and he's going to have his pick on where he wants to go. And as for all of those coaches that defeated Joe Judge by double digits, I mean, you're talking about Matt Nagy, you're talking about Vic Fangio, and there were others as well. I mean, that's just the reality of the situation right now. This, this Giants team is horrendous. We've, we've spoken about it, you know, ad nauseum to this point. Their offense specifically is unwatchable. I think it, again, is the worst offense I've ever seen on film. And I don't know how they're going to be able to change it in, in one season. I'm, I'm hopeful that they will. I think you're right and spot on that John Mara really wanted it to work with Joe Judge. He said when he hired Joe Judge, like, oh, this isn't going to be a two-year thing. Well, we're two years in. Joe Judge does not seem to 
have impressed as a head football coach. There's nothing to suggest that he should stay and keep his job, yet he is still employed. And I think the whole, if you're not going to fire him, ensure that you do not tie him to the next general manager is a good strategy. And there are a couple of general managers that we will go over that are tied to judge from the past. That doesn't necessarily mean that they're going to want Joe judge as his, as their head football coach. We're going to have to see, we're going to have to be patient here, see how all of this plays out. And as for the film, man, I mean, that was just another, um, I went through the all 22, it was another unwatchable all 22 in terms of the offense, I mean, the quarterback sneaks, you got just basically flat passes to the number three with two stalk blockers. That's basically the only thing that Joe Judge and this team wanted to do offensively in terms of allowing Jake Fromm to throw the football, other than those deep shots that they took a little bit later on in the game. I still don't think the team looked like they gave up. I know the Kenny Galladay play isn't something that uh, inspires hope or makes you think that. But when you watch the film, I didn't see a team that gave up on their coach and was just kind of mailing it in. I just didn't see that. So that's one good thing I guess you could take away from the Joe Judge situation. But at this point, man, I think the Giants just need a clean slate. What about you in terms of a film from week 18? Yeah, it was another really rough one to watch. It's been a month straight of unwatchable film. And that, to me, does speak a little bit of volumes about where we're at with the Joe Judge situation because I can't really remember any coach who's been in this spot. I mean, even after uh, Shermer was fired. I mean, the year Shermer was fired, like when it was kind of known he was going to go, he ended up being fired. The Giants did put together some at least watchable film, you know, including obviously the game against the Washington football team where Daniel Jones threw for five touchdowns, 350 yards, whatever it may be, overtime comeback victory. And I don't know if it was a comeback, overtime victory. And, you know, now we have a month straight of unwatchable film, the worst film we've ever seen me and you from the giant standpoint and i do believe it's worth something that has some kind of value that has to be factored in in some way i get it you have the injuries you have jake Fromm. well guess what i mean listen again garrett gilbert started game, a game this year tyler huntley who's clearly not that good as we've learned started a m- bunch of games injuries happen to a lot of these teams the titans have had more injuries than the giants by the numbers i looked at the other day they're the number one seed so while I do factor in the injuries, and I think they play a role, I don't want anyone thinking otherwise. I don't like this paint yourself into a corner. You're either black or white. It's not black or white. Every situation's gray. I've been saying that for years on this show. But one factor for me, man, is if you're looking that uncompetitive for a month straight and you can't, you telling me, it. what it tells me is you couldn't figure out any possible way to scheme any kind of offense with Jake Fromm and Mike Glennon. And I just find that hard to believe that that's the only alternative with those two. Because I did see Mike Lennon move the ball throughout his career at times before this. Not well, but to some extent. We're talking about to no extent. The first time we've almost ever seen this. Um, There's obviously all the numbers, Nick, as well, on how rare it's been for teams to close out the season with that many double-digit losses. You factor in also a lot of those came against bad teams. Washington football team, the Bears, the Eagles aren't great. I know they're in the playoffs. They're not great. They haven't beaten anyone this year. So... It is what it is with Judge. My issue with Judge is the idea to keep him right now, Nick, is just kind of based on unknown, unknown, uh, you know, non-tangible factors. Leadership, the locker room likes him, quote-unquote. That's mostly fluff. I believe the Jay Glazer report, personally, that the locker room, that he has a lot of dissenters in the locker room because Jay Glazer doesn't miss. Jay Glazer doesn't report it unless he knows it for a fact. And anything you hear the players say to the media is not going to be throwing a coach under the bus because they're employed by that team because they could actually contractually get fined potentially by their team if they throw their coach under the bus. 
and because it doesn't look good to ownership if the owner decides to continue on with that coach or even if they move forward to another coach. It's not good for your long-term future. So anything you read in any of those puff pieces from the players, you can take it how you want. I will take it with a grain of salt. I will certainly decide to trust the Jay Glazer report over that. That's my personal, it's my personal, you know, right to do that. And that's just how I see it. But, you know, the unknown intangibles that supposedly make Joe Judge the next Bill Belichick, Bill Parcells type, it's just not playing out for us as far as fans and analysts as far as Nick is what we can see. All I know and all I can see is a coach who doesn't fully believe that you need to score the most points and touchdowns to win football games has made points over and over about how field position is a really important factor in his mind for winning football games. But, you know, field position ultimately isn't an important factor for winning Super Bowls. It's just not anymore. There's just no argument to be made for that. So, you know, maybe that's just some talking points that he throws out there, Nick. I don't know. But it does seem to bear out in his actions and how he I understand that, but I, I do think that's contextual as well in terms of the personnel the Giants have on their team. Now, if he had Tom Brady and New England's personnel from when New England was one of the best teams that football has ever seen, he may coach the game differently. And I don't want to stick up for Judge because I do believe the Giants should probably part ways with this coach right now because I can't think of reasons as to why he would stay. And I do not like the whole, well, you know, he – we don't want to fire him in two years. So what are we just going to throw another year away if he ends up failing, which he realistically could with the roster that the giants have right now. So I don't like that whole notion that has been kind of put out there by certain media types, but I do wonder what his coaching would be like and how his style would change if he had a different roster, if he had different personnel, because just because he's coaching this way with the current giants personnel, a bad offense, fire your offense coordinator, all of those things doesn't mean he would do that in a totally different situation because coaches do adjust. Of course. And I think when I say the unknown intangibles, that's what I mean. I mean, what you're, what you're saying could very well be true, Nick, but it's unknown and it's all speculation. Mm -hmm. And so if our only positives are unknown speculation, it, it kind of leads me down a path of hard to get behind this because we're guessing, we're hoping that, well, if this improves, that improves, that improves, this guy will get better. It's similar to the arguments right now that are being made around Daniel Jones being the long-term solution for the Giants. Well, if this and this and this happens, it'll get better. But I do want to counter that one point about Judge because I understand these last this last month, I'm okay putting that in its own bucket because Glennon and Fromm are not great. The issues in the O-line remain, and they've had injuries at wide receiver. But he now has two-year sample size as head coach, and there were times where this team was fully healthy. Week one, week one, two, three, this team was healthy, man, and they didn't move the ball. And it's not that they didn't move the ball. They moved the ball. They didn't score touchdowns. And in all three of those games, specifically Atlanta, they made a lot of those same decisions that Joe Judge has made. And then it dates back to last year because I've been complaining about this on the podcast for two years now, even last year when it wasn't publicized about these fourth down decisions and this style of coaching because it wasn't you know, as pronounced, even though they did start, what was it, one and three and 10 last year, whatever it was, crazy bad record. I know they won. Uh, they they finished five and three down the stretch, I believe. So that means they would have started what? They, they finished six and 10, so they would have started one and seven last year. So yeah. even in that start where I believe a lot of those losses were pinned in part to his coaching by his decision-making, it wasn't discussed as much. And he's had healthy rosters at times. He's had, this isn't a roster that doesn't spend their money. They just gave him three spending sprees in free agency 
or not him because he's only been for two years, but they've had it. They've built, they've added pieces via free agency to help this roster. Kenny Gall. I mean, there are players on this roster, the professional players, and there's, and we, we viewed this wide receiver group as somewhat deep coming into the year. Pretty deep is how we described it. Um, Barkley didn't miss too much time this year. I know the O-line's bad, but what we're guessing on is the unknown. Like if he has a perfect roster, this and this and this gap. And it's similar to me right now to the Daniel Jones argument. And I'm okay accepting that it's a possibility. I agree with you. It's totally in the realm of possibility. It's, it's not that it's a stretch, Nick. It's just that it's, it's banking on the unknown. I'd rather at this point bank on something that I can see with my own eyes. Like Brian Dable did a great job developing Josh Allen as a quarterback, right? This was a guy who needed so much work to make it work in the NFL. He was a sub 60% passer at Wyoming against Wyoming competition. And he's made him into that. And I know some people have said, oh, Bill's fans are kind of disappointed in his play calling this year, even though they loved his play calling last year. I don't see that either. I get it. They want him to run the ball a little bit more, but he can't. He knows he can't. He knows he doesn't have the, the personnel to run the ball, so he's not wasting his downs by running the ball. And, you know, a lot of people have discussed that part of the reason that Bill's offense has slowed down a bit this year is because teams are starting to figure out a different way to beat Josh Allen. You just drop eight or you drop seven. Um, kind of play too high. So I'm still in on someone who has tangible jolts like that. I just right now I'm searching, Nick, for – what has Joe Judge done to make me feel confident he can be a great coach next year? He's done nothing to, to make you feel confident. I, I don't know how someone could feel really confident because, as we've said so many times in this podcast, this is a results-oriented business. Look at the results. It hasn't been lower in terms of morale and in terms of what we've seen on the field. And as I've said, and as you've said, and as so many people have said, yes, there are plenty of variables and reasons as to why the Giants suck right now. But at the end of the day, who is the head coach who is ultimately responsible for that on-field product. Even if the ingredients weren't all that great from Dave Gettleman, he's still responsible for that product, and that product has just been expired, if we're speaking of ex ingredients, because it's just been disgusting, and it, it's, like we've said, unwatchable. So in terms of if he should return, the answer is no, but that doesn't necessarily mean the Giants would go in another direction right now and and look at somebody else because they're still weighing that option. And again, I, I still maintain that let the general manager decide, have that real chain of command established and then go from there. But as you said, and I do agree, it is kind of costing them because they're not interviewing head coaches right now, whereas other teams are. Sure. Yeah. hundred percent. Right. And I guess the TDLR for me would be the, or the TLDR too long. Didn't read would be, I just think that no matter what your circumstances are, there are moments you can have as a coach, whether that be in the pregame planning, finding something in the film that you can take advantage of from a matchup standpoint or a tendency that you see from your opponent. I just feel like there's something that can be done. I've seen it so many times, like over the career of Sean Payton as a head coach. He's probably the one I've seen it the most from just from an offensive standpoint. From a defensive standpoint, I guess it would be Belichick. But so many moments where like he's down to like, the Taysom Hills and Trevor Simeons of the world. And he's generating like passing plays and he's generating explosive plays because of something he saw on film. And I know judge is supposed to be this great film guy. Carl Banks and Bob Papa talked about how he breaks down film. It's impressive. Um, but he's not finding it. He's not finding it in the film or he didn't find it at least for most of this year. The giants were incredibly disappointing in a number of games. I felt like the bears game was a massive disappointment. I felt like the Washington game the last season was a massive disappointment. I get it. There's injuries, but just something, there has to be something you can find that says, all right, that I can say, all right, you know what? That's something he did. 
to make this team have a better chance to win that day. I mean, there were a lot of situations where I felt like the coaches did their part and the execution was off, whether that be the protection, the quarterback, or the receiver dropping the football. I mean, that's something that we saw dating back to when Jason Garrett was here, and we would applaud Jason Garrett for seeing something on film, particularly against man covered with a route combination that he would use against a single high defense. And then what happened? Will Hernandez blew his blitz pickup or blew the stunt and the looper inside, or the quarterback just didn't read it correctly. So those things... That, that, that extends to the execution of the players as well, which is definitely far below what we expected uh, too. And I, I mean, I'm not saying the coaches did a good job because they didn't, but it's not like they're just inept out there. They did have plans in place that just never yes. seemed to work out because of the personnel. And just one, like we've said this so many times on the podcast, all it takes is one player making a mistake. And it just seemed like so often that one player always made a mistake and the Giants just looked like, they didn't know what they were doing in a situation where if that player executed his assignment, it could have went for six. Yeah, I mean, you're right. And you know me, like I'm from all the conversations I've had with people who have used to be in this business. I've spoken to two different general managers, former general managers and one former head coach. And it's all pretty much the same sentiment. The media, the fans, we tend to put a little bit, not a little bit, a lot bit more uh, weight on coaching than it should have. This is the players play the game kind of sport. The players do play this game. The personnel is and will always be most important. Like you said, there were countless examples of missed pass protections that didn't make sense. Um, Quarterback just not reading the play right post-snap, pre-to-post-snap at all. Ball placement was a massive issue for Daniel Jones this year. I saw a stat earlier, about a month ago, when he was out. Daniel Jones ranked 34th in uh, uh, ball placement from a clean pocket. And the only thing that's sticky year after year over year from, you know, at least from a statistical standpoint, the only metric that's sticky year over year is ball placement and statistics from a clean pocket. They've kind of determined that like everything else is not as sticky, like the pressure stats that kind of tend to fluctuate big time with quarterbacks, how well they do under professional or how well they perform under pressure. But as far as throwing for a clean pocket, he dropped off big time that in that regard. And that, I think, also impacted this passing game in a lot of ways as well. I think we've seen a lot of film this year where the ball was placed in a spot that didn't give the receiver the best chance to maximize his yards after the catch. And again, I understand there are some um, reasons for that, like the bad pass protection, not having trust in your offensive line, poor route combinations for sure. But like you said, there were times where Jason Garrett, even himself, and Freddie Kitchens as well, figured out something. And the execution just wasn't there. It wasn't, that didn't seem to be the case as much on defense though, for whatever that's worth. Yeah, it's true. Yeah, I I would agree with that. I think the defense, like early in the season, man, the defense, they were just getting beat in like, again, one player not executing his assignment, whether that be Jabril Peppers and man coverage on a tight end or Xavier McKinney kind of not recognizing what's going on in front of him, because that's something I feel like he struggled with earlier in the season and then really developed down the stretch of the season. And even in this game, against Washington, that one play of our Taylor Heineke hit his back foot and was firing up the uh, Terry McLaurin where he had some leverage on, on James Bradbury. McKinney read that just by watching Heineke's steps, man. Like I, I swear to God, before Heineke hit his back foot, McKinney knew where the football was going. And that should have been an interception, but McLaurin made a great play on the ball and kind of knocked it out of him. A great play on McKinney, I should say, and knocked the ball out of his grasp. But that, I mean, if we're going to look at positives, man, Aziz Ojolari, Xavier McKinney, some of these young guys who were selected by Dave Gettleman, they seem to be football players, which I feel like hopefully 
whoever is the coach next year can still get the most out of these players because Patrick Graham has done a good job getting a lot out of them early in their career. Yeah, you're right. And every team needs these glue players. Like we don't necessarily, at least at this stage, feel like Aziz Ojolari is going to be some kind of all pro uh, edge. I did see a stat that was a little, not disturbing, but a little alarming, I would say, which comes to his pass rush win rate and just kind of where he was at from that standpoint. He was very low on that bar. I saw a chart with it and he was like among the worst in the NFL on that. I don't think that necessarily jives with what I saw on tape. I thought he was pretty solid in that, you know, as a one-on-one pass rusher. Obviously not great. I don't think he was great by any means. He didn't dominate one-on-ones or anything like that. For But, you know, nine sacks is nothing to let, is nothing to, you know, sweat at. He gets there and he finishes these plays. I think he's certainly a core piece. And just like you mentioned, McKinney, I probably have a little bit higher hopes on, especially because the position he plays, it can be so unique and hard to find, and it can impact from a schematic standpoint what you can do on defense. So there are pieces here. I don't want to say there's not by any means. Um, and so that, you know, that's something that the Giants will all obviously have to sell the next general managers on as well. And so let's talk a little bit about that, because I believe we have seven total candidates right now in the general manager search. It's early. Uh, Kevin Abrams. The good news is uh, before we get into the general managers, I, I, I want to say this. Nick. Two things. One, maybe you're going to have a different take on this than me, and that could be valuable to our fans or not. But I'm not going to be the Giants analyst on the podcast you guys listen to, who's going to come out and give like massive spiels on each one of these general managers. Like I have any clue about any of these guys, because let's be honest with the situation. The, the, none of these guys that they're interviewing are GMs of a current team. So we really don't know how much of a say they had on any of the traffic. So like one thing that I've seen people doing is, all right, go through this guy's, uh, this, the team, this guy's with draft history, like this and this and this, it's okay to do that. I'm not saying it's a bad thing. It's somewhat, useful exercise. I just don't find it to be that useful of an exercise personally myself. If you, if you guys like that and you want to hear about that, there's plenty of people who are doing that for sure, but I just don't really know about what kind of say they had in those picks, those specific picks. I know some, you know, the guy from uh, San Fran Peters, there's like information definitive that he played a role in drafting George Kittle, one of the best picks probably the last decade from a value standpoint, right? He played a role in drafting Jawan Jennings, uh, a good late round finder wide receiver. There may be some, things that show that but a lot of what i've seen is just kind of like the typical quote uh you know gm slash coach slash player speak that you see in the media when it comes to like drafts like you know draft the media asks you a question about draft well we wanted to make sure that we really vetted this guy's personal character i think that's part of the process that gets overlooked a lot you know you don't look into the character enough do they love football we've been hearing that with like every gm to ever walk the face of the earth so to me i'd rather just look at kind of the overall process right now. And that's what I'm a little bit excited about, Nick, because they have seven guys on their list, as far as I'm concerned, that I see. All of them are younger guys. Dave Gettleman, obviously, former general manager and older guy. None of them were uh, handpicked from the, or, you know, worked within the organization prior, you know, had Ernie Accorsi seal of approval. And in this GM search versus 2017, for example, when it was basically just Gettleman, who they kind of knew already was going to be, but they did their quote unquote due diligence by interviewing Lewis Riddick and Abrams and whoever else they interviewed. This is a wide net of people like they've clearly in my mind done their research for months at this point to get this list. They had seven guys ready to go, ready to rock the moment that this happened. And a lot of these guys, like right now that we're looking at, that the Giants are going to be interviewing, I guess I would say what it will be in the next week or so, are 
from different organizations and not all of them are like assistant GMs, Nick, or, or let's say VPs of player personnel. They're digging a little deep to find some of these guys. They got two from the 49ers, one from the Cardinals, one from the bills, obviously shown who Shane, who we've talked about two from the Titans and one from the chiefs. And yeah, two from the Cardinals now too. Actually. Two from the Cardinals now. You're right. So it's actually, it's up to eight then. Correct. Yeah, I believe so. Yeah. Cause Abrams is not getting the interview. So that's one thing I like. I like that they were ready for this. They've been prepared. It's clear they've been doing their due diligence. Whoever's been helping them do this, I don't know who it is, but you know, I'd like to give him a shake his hand because this is a lot. Of, there are a lot of young up and comers from different organizations and all successful organizations. Everyone you mentioned there: the 49ers, the Cardinals, the Bills, the Titans, and the Chiefs have all drafted well over the last few years, and these guys have been a part of that to some degree, which we don't know. But ultimately. That's something the Giants will be able to find out, but they've been ready for this. The other thing is, like we've talked about, Nick, and then I want to turn this over to you because I've been talking for a while now, but like we've talked about, the Giants somewhat give in to fan pressure, I think, because I think if it wasn't, you know, if there wasn't so much vitriol around the idea of Kevin Abrams and hiring in-house, he would get an interview. But I think they're literally telling him, like, look, man, we love the work you've done for us. Um, we wanted to give you a chance at this thing, but look, it's just not going to happen right now. The fans are not going to accept this right now. And what do we know? He doesn't get an interview. So, I mean, some have said like the real mistake was not giving him a chance in 2017 instead of Gettleman. Uh, I can't really argue that one way or another, Nick. I don't think I, I know he could have possibly done a worse job than Gettleman. It's impo- it's almost impossible to have done a worse job than that. But and I know again, he, he landed Andrew Thomas. God bless you landed Andrew Thomas in a tackle in a class with four amazing tackles, like or two two of that have worked out so far, but four great prospects. Like it can't be your only defining moment. But I don't know, man. I like the direction of this GM search to start. As do I. I love the direction of the GM search. You have, I think, three former players, Adrian Wilson, Quentin Harris, and Rand Carthen are all former players. Carthen is the son of a former giant, Maurice Carthen, who was a two-time Super Bowl champ. That really doesn't mean anything in terms of the the search and what they will do as a general manager, but I think it's a cool little nugget that I saw Arch Stapleton go out there and and tweet. And I also just like how they're, they're bringing in people who are vice presidents of pro personnel. They're bringing in directors of college scouting. So they're bringing in general manager candidates with... with a lot of different experience. So like pro personnel is somebody who deals with people who are already in the NFL. Those are those guys' jobs is to look at potential free agents, to bring in guys off of others' practice squads, everybody who's already in the NFL, whereas a director of college scouting is what you would expect. It's somebody who is more in charge of the draft. They have more experience doing things like that with the draft, but these guys still all work, you know, alongside of each other so it's not like if you bring in someone with pro personnel they're going to be inept in terms of drafting and i don't believe that to be the case but i do just enjoy how many people they are interviewing the differences in terms of their backgrounds in terms of what they do pro personnel director college scouting former players all of these cool things and i like the fact they're going to like we expected successful organizations organizations like the titans like the cardinals like the Bills in terms of, you know, Joe Shane. And you also have somebody from the Chiefs uh, interviewing Ryan Poles. He's the uh, assistant director of player personnel out there with Kansas City. Obviously, we can all think that Andy Reid and Kansas City Chiefs have done a good job developing a team out there. So I'm interested to see how this is all going to kind of come about. I'm not assuming that they're going to make a decision probably for a couple weeks, but I'm going to be paying attention to this pretty intently, obviously, because it really interests me. And one person with direct ties to Joe Judge 
is the Titans Austin Fort. He's the director of player personnel. He spent 15 seasons with the New England Patriots, including six as a director of college scouting. You see how he done both sides of the, the coin there because he's the director of player personnel right now for the Titans. And he has overlap with Judge and has a relationship with Judge. So that's somebody to pay attention to. I'm not 100% certain if Austin Fort were to get uh, get brought in and get the general manager job if Judge would still be retained as the coach. But that seems to be a more likely scenario than some of these guys who have no clue who Joe Judge is. Yeah, and that's a good point, especially because people have talked a lot, Nick, in the last 24 hours about they think it's a, a clown show type type of um, environment to not fire Joe Judge and leave him as kind of this lame duck. But I don't know if I agree with that because firing him right now, I get it. You're not you're not getting quote unquote like an early take on who you might be able to hire. Like all you're not you're not getting a chance to hire to interview some of these candidates. Like some of these guys will be hired maybe before that time comes when you hire a general manager. But that's no guarantee. The Giants could move fast on this general manager search. They could interview all these guys and within the next seven days, seven to 10 days, wrap up who they want. And then a decision could be made that's already kind of been made from that general manager on who he wants to be his head coach. Whoever they're interviewing might come in and give them a full plan. Like we want to interview, the, or, sorry, we want to bring in this guy as the head coach or we want to stay with Joe Judge as the head coach. And we want to bring in this guy as this uh, position coach, whatever it may be, this guy in this role in our front office. But, Keeping Joe Judge on now, the one added benefit it has that I'm not sure everybody's, you know, really factoring in right now is that it allows them to continue forward with this offseason and not take this huge pause in the offseason where nothing's happening and they're not like looking into doing anything to improve this franchise as it moves forward. Cause it's kind of like a 365 a day, 365 days a year business right now, the NFL. You really have to be like they signed some future contracts this week, right? Like they they they're still doing things to try to improve the 2023 roster. And so at least now. Now with Judge still in there and maybe in there for a little bit, maybe in there for a long time. We don't know. But at least with him in there, they can still kind of move forward and continue planning on for next year. Are you finally ready to win money and boost your odds? WinBet is now live in Arizona, Colorado, Indiana, New Jersey, Michigan, Tennessee, and Virginia. The excitement of Win Las Vegas has finally landed in online sports betting and casino play. Get exclusive rewards right at your fingertips. Get in on the action with your favorite teams and players from the NFL, MLB, NHL, golf, MMA, WNBA, college football, and more. Right now at WinBet, you can find great promos, odds, and payouts from boosted parlays to live in-game offs on every major sport. WinBet gives you the tools to win. Sign up today for your risk-free $1,000 sports bet and download the WinBet app now or visit winbet.com. That's W-H-N-N-Bet.com to start winning. Offer subject to change, terms and conditions at winbet.com. Must be 21 years or older and present in a state where play through winbet is available. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem, call 1-800-522-4700. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. 
Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Absolutely. And they're going to need to. Whoever this new general manager is, he's going to have his work cut out for him. Yeah, he has, what, five picks in the top 80. That's awesome. Two of them are in the top 10 with five and seven. I love that. But you have to make decisions on Evan Ingram, Will Hernandez, Drew right. Peppers, Lorenzo Carter, Billy Price, Nate Solder, Matt Skura, Austin Joss, all these guys who played significant roles. Some of them you did not want to play significant roles, but unfortunately they did. They're going to be out the door more than likely. And the Giants have to find players to competent players to replace some of these guys and even you know individuals like Austin Johnson I mean that's somebody who I felt like had a really good season possibly his best season as a pro better season than he did the year previous because he had a more expanded role and he actually lived up to it now he's not Dalvin Tomlinson but he still was a really good contributor on a defense that I think is better than what the numbers would suggest but you're gonna have to replace guys like that and then what are you gonna do with the offensive line there's just so many question marks about this roster right now you're gonna bring Lorenzo Carter back who the heck is your tight end next season? Is it going to be Caden Smith and Kyle Rudolph? Or are you going to invest in somebody in this draft? There's a couple of really good ones coming out. I'm just really intrigued by the path this general manager is going to take. I don't think it's going to be necessarily an easy job, but it is a desirable one if they think Daniel Jones is the guy, which is still a huge question mark too. This general manager might think Daniel Jones isn't the guy, and then the Giants are going to be in the quarterback market, which isn't necessarily great in terms of the draft this season. I just think there's so many different uh potential outcomes from when the general manager gets hired, which direction he's going to go. And I'm fascinated to see what exactly happens. Yeah, you're right. And we, you know, we both praised that the giants have taken this thing seriously. They came out with seven or eight candidates, eight now and ready to rock, ready to roll for these interviews. It's a wide net that they've cast, which is what we wanted in the first place. And it's not in-house guys. And so what that does and what that says to me, based on what you just said, Nick, is that we're going to get an outside evaluation of this current roster, which is everything that I wanted, man. I've been so nervous about the idea. I know, you know, Paul Dottino joke, didn't joke about it. He mentioned he's scared of the Giants fire Dave Gettleman, or if Dave Gettleman retires, he's, he's nervous. Things can get worse. But my big worry was my big concern was we're coming up on key decisions for a lot of players, not just the big ones. The big ones are Daniel Jones and Saquon Barkley, two players who the former GM fell in love with and admitted to falling in love with, which gives you the sense that, hey, I don't know if I'm going to get an unbiased take on their on the on whether or not they should be re-signed or not. But then you mentioned all these other fringe players who played huge roles for the Giants. Like they're fringe players for other teams and other rosters, but they're not necessarily fringe players for the Giants because the Giants don't have any salary cap space really to work with. They'll cut some guys, they'll get some cap space back, but some of that needs to be carried over and some of that needs to be used on the on the rookie draft class. And so there's a lot of big decisions to make and they're going to have to narrow it down and decide the one, two, three, maybe four, if they're lucky players who are most important to bring back based on a number of factors. One, how they're going to look moving forward, how they can develop moving forward, where they're at in their development as players Two, what, how, how can they be replaced? And, you know, not just by who, what player, but what direction, what usage of assets does it require to replace this specific position? 
And so that's why I'm excited that they're really taking this GM in my mind. They're taking this GM search way more seriously than they did in 2017. And they're moving forward with it fast. I know a lot of interviews will happen this week, which is really important to me and really good. I'm hoping they come to a higher by this time next week. And I think it's very possible they will. I don't think this is going to drag on. I think they're going to come to the higher. He's going to he's going to have his set way, not set ways, but he's going to start, you know, his process of evaluating the roster as it is today and as it needs to be moving forward. And that's everyone, man. That's just including the people under contract, the two big ones, the Saquon Barkley and the Daniel Jones. Those are the two biggest evaluations in my mind that this next GM is going to have to make. You're right. Ingram's a big one. Bar- uh, I'm sorry, Hernandez, Carter. Those are still big ones, but especially because like, listen, like you said, there's no tight end. This is a, a barren roster for tight ends unless we lo- unless Caden Smith can stay healthy and take a big step forward to playing 100% of the snaps because we don't expect them to pay that Rudolph salary. That's a Gettleman thing. Like that, the new GM is let's 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 face it. The new GM is not going to come in here and and want to keep Kyle Rudolph on the roster, most likely. So you're right. There are a lot of positions where you wouldn't normally expect the player to be resigned, say in Evan Ingram. Right. Like he hasn't proven or done enough to be resigned. He still remains a liability as a pa- as a as a blocker, run and pass and will continue to be based on his frame. But by necessity, he might be back. We don't know. So I'm just excited that this is getting going fast. I'm excited that. I think it's going to be saw, uh, resolved soon, and then we're going to get some big decisions made on the big players of this roster because there's a chance, like you said, Nick, that this entire thing can just be blown up. And I mean blown to its core, to the core of Andrew Thomas and Xavier McKinney. <laughs> those are the only two players on not, the Not just those two, sorry. And like, like, there's a few others. I mean, they're not getting out of some of these contracts anytime soon, but like blown up to the core of like, you know, you, they, this new GM might not, might not decide that Blake Martinez – at his age, coming off the ACL, even given their situation and inside linebacker is worth is worth uh, bringing back, which is insane too. But you're you're not wrong at all. I mean, that's that's why I find all of this very fascinating. In terms of Evan Ingram, Spotrac has his possible market value at around eight million dollars, like just north of eight million dollars, with a possible four year, thirty one million dollar deal. Do you think the Giants can even think about entertaining that right now? No, I mean, I think me and you are pretty much in line with Evan Ingram. I don't know if you've changed your stance at all. I mean, we both feel like he can be unlocked to some degree in the passing game, and he's just been very poorly utilized in that regard. There was one game over the last two years, and it was a Freddie Kitchens called game that I felt like he was actually utilized right or better, but he's still always going to be more athlete than football player and a liability when you when you line him up in line and how, you know, the good offenses don't really want to run 12 personnel that often. They want to run 11. The good, really good explosive offenses that win championships are going to want to run 11. And so I just don't view him as an asset as that in it as kind of that split detached role, even in, 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 let's say 12, quote unquote, but like with an actual inline, if they could find an inline, which is going to be hard enough to do, even having him as one of the quote unquote receivers, even though he's a tight end. Because he's not a good route runner and he's not really sudden in his routes either. So, or off the line of scrimmage either. So, I don't know, man. I just, I, I don't see it. Yeah, no, I, I don't necessarily see it either. But that just goes to show you that the Giants need to invest in the tight end position as well. We're all talking about the offensive line. We want the Giants to add edges. I think tight end is another position they definitely need to look at. And they could really look anywhere. To be honest, like I wouldn't be shocked if they if they even looked at safety since they're probably losing Jabril Peppers and Logan Ryan is getting a little bit long in the tooth. And that is one of the last positions you would have thought about earlier in the season, this season. So it's just it speaks to the uh, 
the dearth of talent on this roster. It really does. And the fact that the Giants, I mean, with those first two picks, man, would you be surprised or shocked if they went in any direction other than obviously like running back and probably wide receiver, but they still need wide receiver help too because Sterling Shepard is not going to be there. Darius Slayton's in the last year of his contract. So it's just it's just a wild state right now. That's that's kind of what I'm getting at. But you know what, man? I'm starting to dive into some draft stuff and there's a lot of interesting prospects, man. I think this draft season is going to be so fun and we're going to be right here to talk a lot about all of these high draft picks because the Giants got two picks, baby. That's one plus to the Giants sucking is they get a high draft pick. <laughs> yeah, it is definitely one plus. And I'm curious about your take on this. There's, you know, some people who believe that when you're in this state of a roster, I don't, I don't want to call it a rebuild. I don't know what the Giants are at right now because it's not a typical rebuild when you have this many bloated contracts and such little cap space. But some people believe the best thing you can do in this spot is just totally to blow it up. And so that means, you know, don't worry about fielding the best roster for 2023. Instead, focus on getting as many assets as possible from those players, from those older expensive players, from moving on from those players. Whether that means these assets aren't good value. Like, for example, trading Saquon Barkley right now would be trading him at his lowest mark. You're not going to get good value for that in a deal. But some people, you know, and it's not just Barkley, it's all these guys, the Martinez, the Bradbury, whoever it may be, believe that it's still the best option for the team because you're kind of taking a forward look saying, you know what, we're throwing 2023 out. We know most likely no matter what, we're not going to, be good in 2023. So let's look forward. and Let's not worry about these guys who aren't going to be part of a 2024, 2025 winning Super Bowl roster. Anyway, like, you know, these guys are getting older, the Blake Martinez, the James Radbury's of the world, whoever it may be. What are your thoughts on that? Because that would be something that I think is at least possible will be pitched by one of these eight guys that they interview. So throughout the next week, they're going to interview all these guys. I think at least one of them is going to say, we need to blow this entire thing up. And what are your thoughts on that? I think if that's the course of action that that general manager wants to take and he has the best plan in place and the Giants, I mean, they put their faith in some questionable people. So I don't want to really trust their ability to to judge some of these people, no pun intended. <laughs> but if they do believe that, then I, I think it is definitely a course of action they should take. I mean, I don't think it's uh, certain one way or the other with a player like Blake Martinez, who is getting a little bit older and who is coming off of a significant knee injury. So if they wanted to part ways and it made sense from a financial standpoint, I would understand, but they have to have a plan to replace him. And I personally love Blake Martinez. I think he's very, very undervalued, a very underrated type of player. So I hope that he is in the Giants' long-term plans. But if they do decide to move on from him and they actually have a good plan in place to replace him, I'm not going to throw a fit about that. And similar to James Bradbury, I think that Bradbury is a very good cornerback. I don't think he's you know, incapable of playing man coverage. I just think that he does struggle with speedy, quicker receivers when he is manned up against them. But I still think he is a, what, top 20 cornerback in the NFL. And then I look at this roster. If they did not have James Bradbury, you look at a Dory Jackson as a one. I think a Dory Jackson is another one who's very, very undervalued. I think he can be a cornerback one, but I love the uh, the ability of having two cornerbacks out there on the boundary who are both really, really good. Now, it didn't help the Giants this year, but that doesn't necessarily mean it won't help them next year. So I wouldn't want to get rid of him, but from a contractual standpoint, if you have to, when you find a way out of it, I will understand. I'm kind of in that mode right now where I would understand a lot of different courses of action because everything that they've tried to do hasn't worked. So if they do decide to blow it up, I'm not going to throw with it. Yeah, it's interesting, Nick. I think 
most people who listen to our podcast would probably be surprised to hear me say that I'm not necessarily in the camp of this, uh, of the blow it up style, because I just feel like in my mind, the NFL is such a year to year league and things can change so fast from a fortune standpoint. Like if Daniel Jones, if, if, you know, everyone was right and all Daniel Jones ever needed was a improved offensive line and the Giants. there's a lot of if and ands here, but if that's true and the Giants stay healthy at receiver, and they're able to miraculously rebuild an offensive line in one year, well, maybe they're a winning team next year. And that team is not going to be a winning team if they get a fourth round pick for Blake for James Bradbury, a fourth for a Dory, a fifth for a fourth for Dory Jackson, cut Blake Martinez, you know, cut whatever, whatever, and get rid of all these guys. And all you're getting is these late dart throws. And I am a big believer in late round dart throws, but not the extent of these guys are going to make immediate impacts to the extent of maybe they can, you can get lucky and you can hit on these guys. But again, it's getting lucky. It's a dart throw for a reason. So I feel like the cap is not as big of a hurdle as some people believe it to be, or as you know, it's sometimes described to be. So you're really not gaining too much back from moving on from these players with the exception of these late round dart throws. And what you're risking is the chance that your young talent, like the Daniel Jones, of the world is going to take a big step forward. You're going to hit on these picks and then you're not going to have the defense. You're not going to have the Kenny Galladay. Let's say if that's one of the examples of somebody you would want to trade, right? For a fifth or something. If somebody for some reason was interested in that, right? That probably not going to happen. Or the Barkley example is a great one, right? You get your fourth round pick for Barkley this year because he's, you know, coming up on a new contract next year. No one's going to give up too much. If Jones takes that step forward, well, now he doesn't have Barkley on the field. And what did you get back for it, right? Like, yeah, but get in the... In the scenario that you're blowing everything up, I'm under the impression that Daniel Jones is already not a part of the future okay. in that situation that you laid out. Now, I'm not about blowing it up. That's not my first choice by any means. But if what you laid out happens and the general manager says, hey, we're going to blow it up, then in my impression, the Daniel Jones, Saquon Barkley, they're all casualties of that. Yeah, okay, that's fair. I think if they move on from Jones, my opinion does change. I think it really is all dependent on Jones. Jones is that last remaining hope of this is, you know, this is our young talent that could really change everything. Like to me, there's no one else on this roster that if they took the most massive step forward next year could impact the Giants' fortunes more than Daniel Jones. And, you know, that's not as much even speaking to Jones as it is just the position. Right. It's just the position like we we all saw it. A lot of people have spoke about see how good Daniel Jones was. Look how bad Jake Fromm and, <laughs> and uh, Mike Lennon was. Well, that's a little bit of a stretch if we're being honest about it. It's just because those guys are atrocious doesn't mean Jones was anything great, but it does go to show the value and the importance of the position. It means basically everything. I mean, you know, there's discussions today. I saw Rex Ryan have a nice rant today on ESPN about how really one of the worst jobs he thought that he saw from a coaching standpoint was the chargers because it's so hard in his mind. He, and he's been through so many, you know, so many years. Rex Ryan to me is one of the more, more underappreciated coaches in the NFL. I think he could come back and do a really good job right now. I think he's one of the better defensive minds in the last two decades. And he said, it's so hard to not win with a franchise quarterback. He talked about how he could never get over the hump of beating the Patriots until the one time Tom Brady wasn't starting and the jets whooped their butt. And it's just like, it's so hard to miss the playoffs with a franchise with an elite franchise quarterback. The chargers did that with Herbert. And it just goes to show like Jones to me is that last piece. He's shown us flashes. It hasn't been in development. We wanted, there's still so many question marks heading into year four, too many question marks from us in my mind, from a three year standpoint, I know they've been hard years for him where things haven't gone his way for, around him, but 
if you do make the decision to keep Jones, which I think they're leaning toward, then I'm not, I guess I would say then in that scenario, Nick, I'm probably not in favor of blowing everything up. No, neither would I, because then you're just basically making Daniel Jones a, a scapegoat and sending him into that situation. Like, oh yeah, your team's going to suck. And then you're going to look really crappy because everything around you is crap. And then you're never going to work in the NFL probably again. Well, maybe I shouldn't say that because even the Mitchell Trubisky's of the world end up getting backup quarterbacks and people with high pedigree draft picks with high pedigree tend to, to get second chances. But I, I mean, 2022 is, is going to be interesting, man, to say the least. I'm, I'm almost reinvigorated now that the season's over. And I texted you this. I was like, bro, feels great. I'm sitting here and I'm watching college football film and I'm diving into prospects and I'm freaking excited about it, dude, because it's been a drag watching the Giants <laughs> week in and week out. I still watch the All-22 of this Giants team. And, you know, I saw, you know, a lot of uh, good things. Like I said, from Xavier McKinney, I saw Dexter Lawrence do amazing things on the field. He was back in Brennan Sheriff right into Taylor Heineke on several different plays. He looked really, really good in that game. And you want to see that from your young players. But, I mean, you, you still come away with this takeaway that you're watching a Giants team that is the butt of the joke in the National Football League right now. Everybody is crapping all over Joe Judge. Everybody is talking about how embarrassing – of a franchise the New York Giants are under John Mara. And I can't disagree because every they're all right. This, this team is terrible. And then when you turn on the all 22, you know, usually I watch it twice over, man. And you, you just don't have a lot of positive takeaways. You see what they're trying to do, but they can never do it. The execution is terrible. The personnel is, is horrid. The offensive line is one of the worst I've ever seen. And I just hope next season it's not like that. And I know Giant fans aren't going to go into next season with the lofty expectations they did this year. Yeah, they're not. And I did want to touch on one more thing that you mentioned uh, as far as Jones goes. And we're going to we're planning right now. I've been talking to Nick about this off the pod. We're planning to do a full episode on where we're both at with Daniel Jones, which I think will be a very interesting episode. It probably won't be uh, featuring Mark Schofield. I think it's just going to be where me and Nick are at right now. Maybe we'll bring on a guest later this offseason to discuss Jones, depending on where the Giants go with Jones and if they're in the market to upgrade at QB or I shouldn't use the word upgrade. I know some people don't like when I say that to change a QB, but it is so funny to me where that like right now, I feel like I've seen enough from Daniel Jones that like what you said before, like if they throw him back into the wolves, right, they blow up the roster, but they make him play out and he's just awful. It might be the end of his NFL career. I, I almost feel like it's so weird to me, Nick, because I feel like I've seen enough to the point where he, I know he can be a really good backup quarterback, like one of the best backup quarterbacks, if not the best in the entire NFL. And I don't know that he can be a great starter. And so like, I'm kind of at that point right now with Jones. And it's so weird because usually with these busts, it's like, well, these guys are, if let's, I'm not saying he's a bust, but if a guy is a bust or if you do move on from a quarterback, so let's not use the word bust. Let's say usually with the quarterbacks that don't get a second contract after being drafted high, they're like total busts and they don't really have it. They don't really settle in anywhere as anything more than just like, eh, guy, you'd never really want to start, but you bring him onto your roster. But I feel like with Jones, that scenario is so different. I feel like he is, can be a really competent, really great backup quarterback for any team. And it's just a matter right now. Of if can't, if, if the things improve around him again, if, and when the giants get healthy at ride receiver, improve their offensive uh, play calling, 
uh, improve their offensive line. Can Jones take that massive step that he that? And at this point, Nick, I think it's fair to say, and we'll get to this more on the Jones podcast. But at this point, I think it's fair to say it has to be a massive step. We're not talking about Jones needs to take a small step. It's not like Jones started at step one, took it, went up to step three with that great rookie year, then went up to four in 2020 and step five in 2021. And and let's say it's like step nine is where you want to get to or step ten. It's not it, the, his steps have gone backwards. If we're going to be honest about the situation or stagnated at best. So he needs to take a four or five step jump next year, in my mind, to be re-signed as the franchise quarterback and to be somebody who you want to be confident in can win you Super Bowls. Um, and so we'll see what happens with that. But I do want to touch on a few more things before we jump off. The first is Brian Flores, because you mentioned him earlier and you said you would love for Brian Flores to be the head coach of the Giants. Well, in your mind, because I would also agree. I'm not going to say I would love for Brian Flores to be that good to the Giants. I would like it, though. <laughs> I I don't have any candidates this current offseason I love, personally. I have a few I like. I like Flores. I like Brian Dable. But do you think that the Giants are then hurting themselves by not making this decision to move on from Judge, despite not having the general manager in, because it's going to probably cost them any chance at Brian Flores? Or do you think that he'll be on the market a little bit longer than most expect? I don't know, man. I'm not really 100% sure. I think Brian Flores can probably have his pick at the NFL job. I think there's going to be a lot of interest in Flores, but I don't know if he's going to take it or if he's waiting for a specific opportunity that he wants to go for. I mean, it seems like, and I have no inside information, but they could possibly be that internal conflict between him and Chris Greer had to do with the quarterback. And he might want to coach a team that has a competent quarterback. And I'm not going to sit here and say the Giants are fully in that situation because I don't think Daniel Jones has proven that. So I don't know how much interest he would have in the New York Giants, but I would love to see the Giants have an uber aggressive defensive mind. I think that would be yep. really cool to to break that down. Just watching Miami's film when they played the Giants, man. Like I thought that it was would be really so cool. Fun. Yeah, dude. I, I think that would be that would be awesome. I think he's he proved that he is a good NFL coach. He had the respect of the players. So I would not mind and I would really like to see him as a Giants head coach if they were to go in that direction from everything that I've kind of looked at so far and I haven't done a deep dive into it quite yet but yeah I mean to go back to your question keeping judge around and not investigating in Brian Flores it, it can't help the situation so yeah I, I mean in the end I guess it would hurt it in a little bit of a way I think you actually just convinced me right there and we might now lead the lead the title of this podcast with this because I think you've you made your case and it's a good one Nick it's not just you making the case. Obviously, we've talked about soft pot, and, and we all have a good eye grasp of what he's done there in Miami. Two winning seasons with an absolute dog crap roster. Like Everyone wants to whine about the Giants. The Dolphins have been injured, and they didn't come into the, either of these years with better rosters, to be completely honest. They have horrific offensive line problems and not really the same kind of talent in my mind on the defensive line that the Giants have, or at least not the investments, and certainly not the skill investments, with the exception of Waddle. And definitely not running back. So, I mean, and you know, Mike Jacecki, okay player, whatever. I'm expounding on it. The point I'm trying to make is you kind of made the case to me, Nick, that maybe Flores should be my number one. Maybe this should be the guy I want most to be the Giants head coach because I believe he's a great leader, first of all. And secondly, what you said is so true. I want to see him coach this defense. I want to see him do all the things we thought Patrick Graham would do when he drafted Aaron Robinson and when he signed to Dory Jackson, which is play a lot of press man and blitz a lot more. And I think that we're going to get a lot of creative blitzes if he's the head, if he's the head coach. I think we could he could he could keep Patrick Graham and they could work together to craft that defense kind of like Bill Belichick does and has been doing for 20 straight years with the Patriots. There is a defensive coordinator by name 
at New England, but he's not really the defensive coordinator. It's basically been Belichick, which is part of the reason Mike Flores, I believe, wanted to kind of move on. I know why a lot of those guys want to move on, but I would love to see from that standpoint. And I think the results speak for itself. A team started one in seven and rallied to win eight straight. Like that's incredible. No matter what your schedule is, no matter what any of these circumstances is, it shows how these, like what you can do as a leader and that you can like stop a locker room from completely collapsing in on itself after one and seven and get them to rally to that kind of season. And so that speaks volumes to me as well, Nick. And you know, I'm moving him up as listen, Ian O'Connor actually today, who's a reporter around the giants and has been pretty in tune. I feel like as far as the GM code, uh, GM stuff goes and the Mara stuff goes with ownership, it's been like Ralph Vacchiano, Ian O'Connor, uh, and then probably those two is like the big, the big go-tos who have had information. Um, that I, and Ian O'Connor said on the Michael K show, I believe this was earlier today, that Brian Flores would be the top of his uh, the Giants would be the top of Brian Flores' wish list if he were to pick uh, any team right now. So there might be some mutual interest there as well, especially I believe that probably has partially to do with uh, the Patrick Graham connection. Yeah, and remember, Patrick Graham was uh, the defensive coordinator down in Miami and he left, but that's not because he had some sort of internal. Uh, disagreement or did not like Brian Flores. Patrick Graham, you know, he's emotionally broken down about his close relationship with Brian Flores. So they're still on very, very good terms. I think another reason, though, why Miami possibly let go, at least these are all rumors, so, I, you know, I don't really fully know what exactly happened, was because Brian Flores struggled to um, kind of keep the continuity of his coaching staff together because there was so much kind of, uh, I don't want to say turmoil, but so much changeover. Like they had was it uh, Chan Gailey as our offensive coordinator in 2020? And then he gets rid of him, and then they go with George Godsey and um, Eric Studsville, or Studsville, I believe it is, uh, as a co-offensive coordinators. And I think people at the top, the owner of the Miami Dolphins, Chris Beer, did not exactly like the fact that there was so much changeover with the coaching staff. And I, that's just another thing that I've heard. I, I really do not know. At the end of the day, I look at somebody like Brian Flores, and I think – I would like him to be the head coach of the team that I follow and the team that I cover. And I would freaking love to watch that all 22 every week on the defensive side, especially with this Giants personnel on defense. I really think he could do a lot of uh, great things because you have man covering cornerbacks like a Dory Jackson. I think James Bradbury can do it. Now he's better in zone, but he can do it. And you look at some of the aggressive second level defenders that they have and guys like right. Aziz Ojolari and Quincy Roche. And I just imagine, you know, five, six man pressures coming consistently and you dial up that pressure on some young quarterbacks around the league. It'd be a lot of a uh, fun to witness. And I feel like that could be so good for some of these young guys like Ellerson Smith. Like it's, it yes. just works so much in their favor. Ellerson Smith's a really good one to mention. And even someone like O'Shane Zimenez, who's only right. one year left. I think he would mesh well in a system like that as a situational pass rusher, because I don't think he's ever going to be anything more than that because he's proven that he's not necessarily someone you want to trust on the edge in terms of the continuity of a run game. But man, you allow him to use his lateral agility and lateral movement skills to shoot gaps and be a looper on stunts and shit like that, man. Oh, I, I would love to see O'Shea in, in those situations. And how about this for a galaxy brain idea, right? So there's been a lot of speculation that the big reason why that relationship ended, because it's been like, the most like mind boggling thing. Well, why would Miami ever move on from Brian Flores given the job that he's done? And there's been speculation that a big part of that is Chris Greer, the GM, handpicked to attack a uh, Tua and believes in Tua. <laughs> yeah, I wasn't even going to try to pronounce that. And believes in Tua and is staunch on his opinion that Tua is going to be the guy. And there was speculation that Brian Flores was the big 
guy who was trying to push for them to trade for Deshaun Watson. So galaxy brain idea. Brian Flores comes in, hired by the Giants, sells them on the idea that he can't win with Daniel Jones and he needs to trade for Deshaun Watson. And a few months later from now, we got Brian, Brian Flores as our head coach, the perfect offense coordinator, whoever that would be to fit Deshaun Watson's skill set because Flores has been thinking about this now for months and how he would, you know, who he would bring in to help uh, fit Deshaun Watson with the Dolphins. Now he gets to do it with, uh, with the Giants, with Galladay, with Tony as pieces to work around with. So you lose those some of those first round picks, I'm sure, and next year's, whatever. So you got Deshaun Watson, Brian Flores, a coordinator who fits the skill set, and and uh and and obviously Patrick Graham still on the defense. That's that's the galaxy brain idea. That's that's my that's my never gonna happen dream scenario to get the Giants to be a playoff contender in 2022. That's full on Vince McMahon meme where he's falling <laughs> out of the chair with his eyes crossed and everything. <laughs> But could you imagine a situation like that? I mean, if Deshaun Watson was ever cleared of all that and say all of that ended up being malarkey or whatever, I mean, I would love to have Deshaun Watson as a quarterback. He's He was one of the more fun quarterbacks to watch when he was doing his thing down in Houston. There is no, like people throw this out at me, if this ever became an actual rumor, right? Like if they hired Flores, Flores pushed for Watson, the Giants are in the Watson trade market. There'll be so many people asking us on Twitter and talking about this on Twitter like, how about this and this and this? Would you give this and this and this to trade for Deshaun Watson? Would you trade this and this and this? My answer will be yes, 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 yes. I'm just going to type yes, period. I have, I don't think I have any bounds. I don't have a, like, I'm, of course, assuming he's cleared and everything, you know, was kind of, I don't want to say made up, but I have no, I have not read anything on this case. And I don't, I think that would be disrespectful to the, to yeah. the potential victims in this case. But if, if let's say like, I don't know, he's cleared. And that part of his life is behind him and he's moving forward without it. There's no, there's no, there's nothing you can tell me that I wouldn't give because it's so hard to draft quarterbacks and find the right one. You're just going nowhere. You're spinning in circles until you get one. And he's young and unbelievable and has done so much with so little in his career. So yeah, there's just nothing. Uh, It's, it's the galaxy brain idea to fix the giants. Fine. Flores. And you trade for Deshaun Watson. Call it a day. Roll forward into 2033. I don't give a fuck who's playing linebacker and tight end. We got Deshaun and we got Flores. But, you know, obviously that's not going to happen most likely. But we'll see what happens with that. I want to go over a couple quick things before we sign out to just, you know, rumors and reports from people on the beat who are tuned into this situation. Uh, Ralph Vacchiano is saying that Judge may be in limbo for a couple of weeks, though he also made mention that Judge is giving input to the Giants on which GMs he can work with and who he you know, has a, might have a relationship with or who he would want to work with. Um, that I found pretty weird. I don't know if this is a correct report by Vacchiano, but I think somebody, I was actually reading this on BBI, so shout out to Big Blue Interactive. Um, and who said this? I'm trying to, Mike and NJ, that's where I read this. I just found this thread because I had it up in my tabs. And he was like, so judges, so we're supposed to believe, according to Vacchiano, judges giving input on GMs he can work with. Yeah, I would love to provide input on what I was looking for in a boss, but unfortunately, that just isn't how it works in a strong organization. And I think it was such a spot on comment. Like, what what the hell is that about? The you can you can provide your the information on who you want to be your boss. That would be great. Imagine if life was like that, right? Yeah, that'd be awesome if life was like that. And if that is true by Mr. Ralph Vacchiano, then it says a lot about the faith that this ownership still has in Joe Judge. And are they actually trying to part ways with Joe Judge in that situation? I mean, I don't know. I mean, I trust Ralph Vacchiano. I'm just going back for a while. I remember when I was away in Afghanistan, my brother would send me his articles (laughs) and that's like who I would read way back in the day. So, uh, 
you know, good on Ralph Vacchiano. And I do love how on his Twitter, it says Joe Judge watch day two. And it reminds me of a South Park episode where it was Britney Spears watch and it was, it's Britney watch. So for any South Park <laughs> fans out there, tell me if uh, you go to Ralph Vacchiano's Twitter and you see that, if that's where your mind went. If not, totally understand you're a well-adjusted individual. I am not. <laughs> and listen, let me tell you something. Ralph Vacchiano is someone who I know some people have some problems with him. He had a string of draft classes. I believe it started with the Jason Pierre Paul and and moved forward as the next two or three, where he nailed every single first round pick. And we're talking like 15 overall, like JPP was or whatever it was, 15 or 16 overall. Like he was nailing these things. So he has good inside sources and he's been there for a while. I take his word a lot. Schwartz, I think, is also pretty connected, even though some people have viewed have have referred to him as a mouthpiece for Mara. I don't know if that's true or not, but I feel like his he's been pretty spot on over the years. So those are definitely two that I would keep in mind as far as just sources go, because I think some of these beast writers are great with a lot of other things. These would not be my my two preferred beat writers if I wanted to listen to a podcast about the Giants or if I wanted to read an article about the analysis on the Giants. But sources are different, you know, a whole different beast, especially in today's day and age. I do want to mention one more thing, and then we can kind of wrap it up here. The last thing I would want to mention is there is some overlap now because the Bears are also in the market for a general manager. And according to Albert Breer, they've now requested to interview 49ers director of player personnel, Rand Carthen. The Giants also want to interview him. They also want to interview Joe Shane. Joe Shane, who the who the Giants uh, obviously are at least believed to have made their early number one candidate, right? Like Shane's believed to believe, be the number one right now. So the overlap is interesting to me because it almost I almost feel like it puts some pressure on the Giants to kind of act fast here. Do you think that's going to play any factor? It possibly could, but at the same time, both of these individuals have playoff games coming right. up in the uh, – this weekend. So their teams are still technically in it, which could buy some more time for those individuals and for the teams who are interviewing them. I, I want the giants to actually do their due diligence and interview these, these, uh, I don't want to say prospects. Wow. These general manager candidates. So in order to do that, you're going to need some time. So I don't think they should be rash and make a decision right away unless they absolutely love. And they know that that individual is going to be the individual to lead the giants. Yeah, I think that's fair. I think that's a very balanced, fair take there. And I think I would have to tend to agree with you on that. All right, Nick, anything else you wanted to talk on? I feel like I love where this conversation, we didn't even expect to talk deep on Brian Flores. And now I feel like you got me amped about the possibility of Brian Flores as the next Giants head coach if they do decide to move on from Joe Judge. You got me amped about my galaxy brain idea where Deshaun Watson becomes the quarterback of the Giants and I can, I can watch like, 12 win football maybe next season so i don't know we went in some wild directions here and i think that's kind of goes to what you spoke to earlier nick like it's a wild time right now there are so many unknowns around the giants and i'm just excited to be able to talk to you about it for the next i don't know three months until until we get a clearer picture of where things are going to be it's going to be a lot of fun man i'm looking forward to it yep all right guys thank you again for tuning in to the big blue banter podcast as always i haven't said it in a while but as usual do yourself do us a favor please Leave us a five-star rating and review. It helps us grow. It helps us move up the algorithm on iTunes. You can find us on YouTube. You can find us on Instagram, NYBigBlueBanter. Otherwise, have a great rest of your weekend. I'm sure based on the speed of this movement, the general manager search and everything else, we'll be talking to you very soon. So have a great week.
Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.